you're listening to Movies for Decades. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Movies for Decades. This is our first attempt at making a podcast ever. Definitely is... our first attempt and not our second attempt after all of our equipment failed. We don't have a fully lost episode at all. No. There, there is uh, no Phantom episode. <laughs> I don't know why y'all are assuming this. There, it never happened. This is our first and it will be successful. We don't feel sad and like failures. No. Not at all. I'm John. I'm John Albee. I am Colin Albee. And I'm Helen Albee Cottingham. Ah, the three of us are siblings. So this is our this is our first attempt at making this episode of a podcast, and this is the first this is the pilot episode, which is why it's so impressive that we got it right the first time. I know. Right? And um, so and this is a podcast in which we watch a movie from every decade in film history, beginning with the year 1921, which is 100 years ago, conveniently enough. After 1921, we'll do 1931, etc. We'll eventually watch a movie from the year 2021. We don't know which one. We'll find out. And um, the film, this being the first episode, and the first attempt at recording the first episode, this is the pilot. The film we chose was The Kid. I won't pound on the thing. Yeah. <laughs> we all went like no. Yes, we're watching. We watched. We the watched kid. the kid by uh, which is uh, written, directed, produced, and starring a one Charles Chaplin, better known as Charlie Chaplin. I don't think he's ever called. Charlie. Nobody calls him Charles Chaplin. I don't think I'm aware. He called himself Charles Chaplin ever. Wow. I don't know though. Anyway, this is his movie, <laughs> and. Uh, for the first time, I'm going to call us out for not choosing a movie that's very hard. Silent comedies are some of the most accessible silent films you can watch. There's some very weird silent movies that you could watch if you want to seem cooler and impressive. But I don't think the audience wants to, and we didn't. So we watched Charlie Chaplin, This is the Kid. It's good. Mm-hmm. It is very good. I'm not trying to flex with movie choices. Yeah, I'm not trying to... I mean, I consider myself a hipster just for being a cinephile, but... For using the word cinephile. I know, right? And, um, you know, you can be a cinephile who loves rom-coms yeah. and only loves rom-coms. Yeah. I, let's, let's invite them to the cinephile table, okay? Yes. Don't gatekeep our cinephiles. Word. Word. Uh, cinephiles while we're making audiophiles yes. we shall discuss this film what's the first thing we should discuss since this is the first time we're discussing this movie how shall we talk about it do you oh. want me to read my notes word for word yeah let's like let's start with read. reading your notes so we watched this movie and then and then helen took notes which should surprise no one uh-huh. i guess john took notes too i took some notes but i'm a little too cool to read them so yeah so what's what's your first note helen mow the lawn hospital <laughs> <laughs> there was overgrown grass outside the hospital. Her mistake, by her mistake, is a mother. And then I wrote sin underlined because the other version changed mistake to sin, which struck me as even more unfair to this poor single mother in this movie. Do we want to just jump off from there or do, should I just... So we'll go ahead and just talk about what the hell we're talking about. In this case, there are... More than one version of this film floating out there. There's really just two. Well, there's kind of two and a half. There's sort of, there's a theatrical release, which is an hour and nine minutes. And then there's the 53-minute version, which comes from the 1972 reissue of this film. I say two and a half because I think there's a, the half is that there's a lot of just shitty looking versions of this movie because it was in public domain. And especially like if you have a public domain movie, silent movie era, you're going to have some shitty prints of this that get passed off even in the streaming era when you don't rent things from the blockbuster. So, and, yeah, and initially I watched the free Amazon version, which looked like it had been found in a barn. It was sepia-toned and grainy, and I felt like I was watching a movie through a telescope. They did brush the roach poof poop off of it. Yeah, they brushed the roach poop <laughs> off, but otherwise it was fresh from the barn. Straight to Amazon for free. And I watched about five minutes of it before I 
decided it was unacceptable to me. Yeah. They were they're straight up shots that just cut people's entire faces off. Yeah, like half their heads are cut off. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I was just like, there's got to be a better, a better scan of this. And I only got five minutes through. But even in those five minutes, when I started the movie over to look at a better scan of it, there's notable differences that I saw just within those the, that short of a time. So you're the Helen. You're the only one who's watched both versions out of All this group. All the way through, yes. And I, I honestly liked the crappy version, the un-70s refreshed version better. There was a lot more of the mother. There was a lot more scenes of the mother in that version, which we can talk about if you want. It's interesting. So what is the other version? Now, of course, me, I watched it on the Criterion version because this douchebag is my brother fucking bought me Criterion <laughs> for, my, for my Christmas. Day and um, yeah, Grimbus. Grimbus. So anyway, I watch. So like, I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm gonna watch this movie, and it looks like it's gonna be better looking. Obviously, it's Criterion Channel. And but then I was fifty three minutes. It was fifty three minutes. So I'm sitting here. Watch, I'm like, wait a second. I'm not about to sign up to watch a shorter version of this movie if I don't the have Reader's to. Reader's Digest version. So I had to like figure out like Canopy also had the fifty three ver- minute version. And I'm like, well, I'm okay. So at that point, I. Like, so what is this other version? The other version, the 53-minute shorter version, is, I guess, the more common one out there in some ways. And it's and the reason it's shorter is, is not just because it's a hack job, or at least it's a hack job, by the actual filmmaker, Charlie Chaplin himself. Yeah, does that mean he really preferred the re-edited version? Like, he felt like he fixed it? What was it you said? I mean, the my, my, my deep research I did on this, which was which was like one sentence on the Wikipedia article basically just said that he cut some scenes that were too sentimental for modern audiences for 1970s. I don't know. Because he thought all boomers were high and not paying attention. I don't know. I guess he knew that like he had like some like some cool... What are the kids called these days? Beatniks in the 70s? <laughs> yeah. these, these, these kids smoking the, the reefer. Yeah. They won't like this sappy stuff, so I'm going to have less sappy stuff. The movie's playing sappy... Anyway, it's interesting. See, he must he must have been in his eighties or something. Yeah, when I he think was, he was eighty odd something. He was when he was recutting this movie for the seventies re-release, and it makes me think like, if you have this work that you made as a young man out there, I mean, what would you do to your art after all that time? It's a it's a kind of a fascinating thing. It's like he mm. must have found these scenes cringe. But it sounds to me like our person, Helen, here, who has actually seen both versions, it sounds like these scenes aren't very cringed, though. No, I thought they were very good. There is a cringe scene. Yes. We will get to. It got yes. left in the movie. <laughs> there is a cringe scene that's in both versions. Yeah, and like you said earlier, he didn't cut out anything that he was in. Yeah. All the stuff he cut out was things that the main lead actress was Wait, in. Wait, what do you mean by I said earlier? Hell yeah. There was no Phantom episode. There was no Phantom episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. When did I say that? Did we we were trying to keep it in the vault and not talk about this movie before we met, but we did say a few things about the movie before we hung out. <laughs> yeah. And we tried, we, tr- we tried to keep it fresh for this, but we... There's no good reason to let our audience know that we screwed up the first time. No. Sure. Like, there's no good reason to let them know even if we did, which we yeah, didn't. Which, which we, we didn't. Yeah, never have. But we're just siblings and we just talk and we're, we just, we're hanging out. We really talked a lot about this episode, this movie before we did an and episode we on it. Have, and we, we shouldn't have. And we would have been more fresh if we had saved it for this. <laughs> oh my god, you guys have to fucking stop right now. <laughs> 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 so... Yeah. Uh, so can I describe the scenes that were Describe the scenes. Describe the scenes, yeah. The differences between the two uh, and cuts could that be you can more, commonly find. These are what stood out to me because I found these scenes extremely poignant. It was in the beginning of the movie when she has just left the hospital with her baby that it is established was an accident. She's standing outside of a church and a beautiful young bride is standing there with a huge bouquet and a flower drops off the bouquet onto the steps of the church and then a much older man walks out and takes her arm, who's definitely the groom, and he squishes the flower with his heel as he steps down to lead her away. And that struck me as very symbolic, very old school, 
just vivid storytelling maybe would be considered cliched now but I thought was very beautiful about this groom crushing the beautiful flower of the young woman and the girl with the baby longing for that because it seems like a better, better alternative than what she has and I don't know it just it hit for me it really worked and that was not in the other version and you know the other version is a little sketchy in the beginning yeah like, she's just wandering around nebulously wandering you know? around nebulously with the baby and very quickly decides to set the baby in the car which they drew that out much longer in the other version yeah I and guess, i liked that i, I guess he's getting that i guess he's getting rid of some first act flab theoretically I yeah know. i just feel like yeah there's something about the women's perspective and how difficult things were for women or always have been and uh it's interesting that i mean i guess it's not that surprising that that would be one of the things left on the cutting room floor we do know of charlie chaplin which we don't have to dig into right now i'm i'm oh we might as well we might as well get it over with i'm convinced that he did not think women were people yeah (laughs) I don't think that that's a controversial thing to say at this point. And a lot has been written about I it. Think, well, well he, hold he, on. He had this scene in this original cut that seemed to be very sympathetic. Very nuanced. Nuanced yeah. to, to women. And, and I guess he just decided in his old age that women weren't people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had, some, he had some very complicated relationships in his life that were... Gross. He tended to date, marry, and knock up teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about the pedophilia. Yep. It's mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's important that we go ahead and we mention it. That we say up top that yeah, this guy's a monster. We watched his movie. We feel complicated feelings about it, but we enjoyed the movie. But we feel gross. I especially feel gross. Especially because of the ending scene, where he kisses on the 12-year-old girl that later became his wife when she was 16. IRL. Yeah, real life. Yeah. She, yeah. He married that girl. And it was not a good relationship. And it yeah. made me feel extremely icky. And I went into this movie thinking, okay, well, Charlie Chaplin, he had a terrible personal life. But it didn't show up in his work. And then here it was, showing up in his work. And that threw me for such a loop, it took me completely out of the movie. It made me want to not watch any more Charlie Chaplin movies. It made me kind of want to eat all of my words about, okay, toxic people can still make great art as long as it doesn't inform their art. And then it's like, wait a minute, maybe it always informs their art. What am I thinking? It made me question a lot of things. Yeah. It made me have big, big feelings. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we can land anywhere about what to do with terrible people's art but we did watch it and it's, it's important to sit with all these feelings I, I think it's not there's no point in erasing this movie or not seeing it because charlie chaplin's influence is so vast i mean we, he's literally has a hundred years of influence underneath him there's no deleting him from the consciousness of film really and uh and i don't know i and he I was a great sh- artist. He was it's a great so artist. It's so icky to have to sit with that. He was a brilliant artist. And he made things that made me feel happy and good. And this movie was also very sweet. You have to acknowledge great art when it's been created. Yeah. And, 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 when, it's, and when it is as vast and, and, and influential and important as someone like Charlie Chaplin, who is not just a funny guy with the Hitler mustache. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And this movie encapsulates a lot of what made him such a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And also has some stuff about like, oh yeah, this is, there's a reason why. Like, You know, I guess one thing about Charlie Chaplin that's, is that he's not someone who just was lionized until he died and then this stuff was dug up. It's like, no, his career went downhill. It's part of why he was kicked out of America. It's a big part of why. he was gross about women. It, yeah. it bothered them then. It's not like, yeah. oh, everybody forgave that in the 20s. No. no it was scandalous <laughs> then. Yeah. Well, it was scandalous mainly in the 40s. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, anyway, that's, yeah. It's, it makes us uncomfortable. It sh- it and should make us uncomfortable. We're sitting with that discomfort, and we're saying that it made us uncomfortable, and now we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that we liked about the movie. This movie, <laughs> first of all, is quite funny. Yes, There's all so, laughed out loud at it. There are so many funny scenes from the very beginning. 
I don't know if there, is there any funny scenes with with um the mother who's no. only seen no, no she's never funny she's, she's never funny tragically sad the now her time. her shithead boyfriend is, is I think has got a quite funny scene where he's like. You know, they cut to him like, oh, this is this is the baby daddy, and he's looking at a sad picture of his of yeah of, of his, his girlfriend. not betrothed, and then it falls in the fire. Oops! Oops! He accidentally knocks it up in the fire. And, oh, he picks <laughs> it out of the fire, and it's not even all the way burnt. I think he could still see her face, and he's like, it's a little too burnt for me, yeah, and he and throws he, it back yeah. in. It's well, just, it's like his 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 bro kind of distracts him. He's like, I don't do anything, and, you know. Yeah. He tosses it back in. I, I like wasn't this. having feelings. <laughs> That scene is is funny. Yeah. But it, but also, you know, it's about sad. sad. To me, it was mostly sad. I don't know that I was. Yeah. I I didn't yeah. laugh at it, but yeah. I can see now that it's kind of funny. I, you know, I guess how I guess awkward I, it was. I guess to I'm just chuck his picture and this picture in the fire. I thought it was. I, I wouldn't like. <laughs> yeah, this guy's. Well, like I, what I liked about it is, of course, in the other version, he doesn't. He does show up again? Yeah, that's another difference in the other version. He There's a whole uh, scene where she's... It's established she's a famous actress now after she's given up the baby in a crazy, basically, let's murder my child way, which bothered me. But anyway. There's no one... There's no, like... <laughs> the baby glass windows left alone in a car there, there was a she was leaving it outside like she should have left it on the doorstep she was yeah. intending to leave this child in this rich there's a big old house and there's a car so she leaves it in the car I imagine that was a status symbol it looked like the kid would be well taken care of because these people are well off okay. but instead it gets stole by some like by some by some some mobstery looking well, so but anyway so, your point so she she's, it's established that it's like four years later or five years later she's a famous actress now and it there's a scene and it's a dinner party and the baby daddy's there and they see each other from across the room and it's obviously been years since they saw each other and the overacting silent movie thing happens and then they go out on the balcony and they have a nuanced conversation about how mistakes were made and how she doesn't know what happened to the child and he looks sad and she looks sad and the circle gets smaller and it's the next scene and, and that's such a that's another very beautiful moment that apparently that Charlie Chaplin didn't think seventies boomers were ready for. Yeah, it was too sentimental. <laughs> too sentimental. For the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are just here to have a good time. Yeah, but and also feel there's lots of more. You know, like so. Of course, the beginning one of the begin beginning titles in the credits is like this is a film. What is what is the phrase again? This is a, a film with a smile and a tear. A smile and perhaps a tear. And perhaps a tear. A tear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is very much the ethos of of Charlie Chaplin's movies, and partly why they age well is that they have they have a lot of pathos and sadness in them, and also some really good gags. Let's talk about a better gag than 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 dropping a picture in the fire. So, uh, I want to talk about when we meet the tramp. Yes. It's such a great sequence. Um, people are just throwing stuff out in the street, which is, I, I was just wondering, is, do people do that? Do they have mulch in their house? And yeah, it's just I wrote down, why is random trash falling? <laughs> yeah, they're just like, hey, honey, you forgot to take the mulch out again. <laughs> <laughs> and and would that, did He's that just happen? walking down the street and trash is just raining down on him. And then the title card says, an awkward ass. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was him yelling. Oh, I thought it was like I thought that was his I thought that was a trance voice yelling at someone after he almost gets hit with some shit. No, and, maybe like, that and he was awkward ass. I thought that he was the awkward ass. See, I like to I like to imagine it more as just like labeling him like so just audience so you so you know, awkward ass, here we see him. And uh, <laughs> it's just such a beautiful sequence. And it takes it takes out his he, he was smoking and and, and, the, and the shit that fell on him took out his light and he lost his smoke. Yeah, he was looking for his choicest roach in his blunt wallet. Yeah. And he pulls out, we get a nice close-up of half-smoked cigarettes yeah. that he picked off the and ground. He's standing next to the baby, fishing around for a good thing to smoke out of his little pouch. And I'm like, and heart, there's down, a baby. And I wrote down, it took him till now to notice the baby, because the baby is thrashing around, obviously crying, because the thugs from earlier with the car set it on the ground in an alley. And... It's crying, and I'm very concerned for it. And he's like, who to do? Which cigarette should I smoke? Whatever these things. Weird 20s lumps of tobacco are. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, a baby that has been screaming on the ground two feet from you for a solid minute and a half. But anyway. 
Um, and then there's some funny bits where he's he's trying to go like, oh, well, there's a baby. Well, uh, whose baby is this? And then, oh, no, this is my baby. No, I'm just going to put it here. No. It was such a good plan. Like, oh, there's another baby. There's a yeah, carriage. Yeah, there's a stroller. She's yes. got all the gear. Let's give the baby to the lady with the gear. And with the baby. he says, you dropped this. As he sets it. Like, he thinks maybe the baby just bounced out and the lady didn't notice. And so he says, you Or she'll go, oh, okay. Yeah. She's very angry though. And she she says, hits him with her umbrella. <laughs> she does it again later, but that's yeah. the other thing. Yeah, because he tries to. Uh... The old man with the cane tries to put the baby back in the same stroller because he tries to pass. He pretends he stepped in mud and hands the baby to an old man with a cane, and then the old man with the cane puts the baby in the same stroller from before. It's all very it's, hilarious. It's just like. This perfect little cartoon, and yeah. it's, it all makes so much sense. It it's it flows, you know. It's such a perfect thing, and you feel like you know him within thirty seconds of seeing him. You understand what his deal is, and it's just so perfect. And it's funny to me, he he's trying to pass this baby off, and he finds this note, and he's like, "Oh, here are the instructions. I'm supposed to love and cherish him, of yeah. course." <laughs> like, all right, yeah. all right, then. If I, if I had seen this note first, I wouldn't have been trying to... Yeah, and I did write that in my notes. The letter is all it took, question yeah. mark? Like, so he's, like, about to put the... He lifts up the grate on the drain, and, like, maybe you're in there. Maybe this could go, could go in there. Like, it's very disturbing for, like, a millisecond. And then he finds the note in the baby's clothes... It's like, please love and cherish this baby, this poor orphan, or whatever the note says. And he shrugs, he's like, I guess I have a baby now. <laughs> Nothing about the tramp that I like in this opening scene is like, I like the look of the tramp in this movie more than some of his other things, his other movies that he, he did. Because I think the tramp's outfit in this movie is so ratty. It is so ratchet. Yeah. And like, I think later on, the whole little tramp outfit looked more like a costume a little bit i mean like there was yeah i see when i picture other films i've seen with charlie chaplin i think of more of like the very dressed up sort of tuxedo everything fits well and everything is so rumpled and baggy on him in this movie and well he always it's always rumpled and ill-fitting but like yeah. later i feel like he really his him and his art department team, which I think was mostly him, because he was every department. Yeah, he did everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that they found the rattiest hand me down clothes they could find. I mean, yeah. they went, they went, yeah. they they went to a dump, and like he looks terrific. Yeah, there's horrible. patches on the butt of his pants and everything. Yeah. No, something that. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, was that a butt flap? No, it was just patches. <laughs> it had just worn out and been patched. Um, but some this is gonna make me sound kind of dumb, but I had just never thought about this before. But you know the the silly Charlie Chaplin walk. Mm-hmm. I never put together that the reason he does that is because his shoes are too big. And that's how. And his just, pants are too big. And it's just how you would walk if your shoes and pants are just gigantic. Wow! No, I never put that together. Yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, it's not because he's doing a silly walk. It's because he's just getting around with enormous shoes. He's on. trying to not step on his pant leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but part of why he's such an instantly endearing figure, and, and he, I think he introduced every like first introduction of the tramp is is a good scene in all of his movies. Is is that like he's he's just a complete wreck of a human, and he kind of looks like it, but he's just carries himself with just the dignity of of a gentleman, you know? Like it's and such that a was good like act to him. That was very important to Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. He said that that he wanted the tramp to represent the dignity of the poor mm-hmm. because that was his life. That's where he came from. Yeah, he had a lot of credibility in that regard. Yeah, t- talk about um, Helen, who's done research. Yeah, talk about. The early Charlie Chaplin life and how how it relates yeah, to this, this movie. This movie was considered his most autobiographical movie because he was actually taken from his mother, his single mother, and taken to a poorhouse, workhouse, orphanage, you know, in London, I'm sure it was horrific at the time. At seven and then again at 12, I think. And then he was fully living on his own by 13 or 14. So he had a very hard life. He was in and out of orphanages. He was actually taken away from his family by probably cruel social worker types like in this movie and it meant a lot to him to tell this story and and that's i think part of why this movie is so emotionally powerful because it was it was him describing his childhood in a com in a comedic sweet way yeah let's talk i think that's this good time to talk about the kid we haven't talked about 
this wonderful this actor, wonderful, this kid. Child. What's his name? Jackie. Jackie uh, Coogan. You know the kid who played the kid in the kid? Yeah. 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 His name is Jackie Coogan, and he grew up to be Uncle Fester on the Adams Family. Wow, that is the first time I've heard that today. <laughs> Wait, so you're kid. saying that the kid who played the kid the kid was Uncle Fe- Fester? Yeah, and he was an adorable <laughs> tiny little boy that grew up to be a giant terrifying bald man. And he, the kid who plays the kid and the kid plays the shit out of the kid and the kid. He's, yeah, he's so adorable. He's so adorable and he's such a good actor. I mean, you just never see that kind of acting from such a clearly little kid. I mean, yeah, because he he's actually like actually five. Yeah. yeah, he's actually five. And there's later on in the movie when he's separated, he's getting taken away. I mean, he is bawling. And it is, I, I really like that as a kid who's bawling. Well, that it's, was dark, though, because his actual dad was on set and his actual dad said, we will send you to a real orphanage if you don't cry right now. Whew, and wow. of course, Charlie Chaplin was just like, we gotta make the kid cry. I don't know how. Here, Dad, you make him cry. I'm I don't not going to make him Charlie cry. Charlie Chaplin was involved, but <laughs> I'm sure he was because the kid needed to cry. That weirdly makes me feel better that it was the father and not Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> you know what? Because I'm watching. <laughs> That's, this insane. That's insane. That's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but like watching this movie and knowing how many takes everything took. And knowing what a perfectionist Charlie Chaplin was and how he was kind of considered an abusive dictator on other movies because he was such a perfectionist. The crew hated to work with him sometimes. So I was like, oh no, he was horrible to that poor child. And so more darkness for Charlie Chaplin, more dislike of him in my heart. And then it was like, no, he was sweet to the kid. And Jackie Coogan had a great relationship for the rest of his life. His dad was the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe his dad was just like, he's like, got him to cry. And you're like, well, you sure he's okay? Yeah, he's fucking fine. You know what? <laughs> you know, I know what he can handle. I know how to make my son cry. Okay? Don't worry. Leave this to me. No. We're going to give you away. <laughs> Unless you do what we need you to do. Yeah, I'm insane. I'm the parent here, and I'm like, I'm relieved the parent was <laughs> Well, you don't want to just pile on ways Charlie Chaplin was evil. Like yeah. He was a pedophile, but at least he was maybe potentially, in some stretch of the imagination, <laughs> nice to the kid on set. So. Yeah. Oh, no, he was actually, they were actually pals. Really? And, and yeah. not in a creepy way, I don't think. That's, that's they that's, were pals. Yeah. Um, I think that was partly a function of get, making sure there was on-screen chemistry, but it was also the whole sad fact that, you know, again, Charlie Chaplin lived a rough life, is that he lost, he lost a child, like, before, weeks before filming. Weeks before filming this movie, his first son was born and died three days later. That's devastating. Yeah, that's... so he was horribly sad from losing his own son before making this movie. So the loss of the kid in this movie had to be extra powerful for him. Um, And I think he wrote that in as a way to deal with that, almost. I mean, I don't want to assume. Well, it's possible. There's so many sweet little moments. Just from from the beginning, and I want to talk about early on in the movie when he's got this great parenting rig where he's got this kid with the teapot and the hanging in the little hammock and he's cutting up diapers or whatever he's doing that was such a clever rig the the hammock the baby hammock with the teapot with the nipple on it so the baby can grab the spout of the teapot and you don't have to sit there and bottle feed them like i honestly wish i'd had that when i had an infant (laughs) because that would have been so much easier than holding them and bottle feeding them just have the little baby feed themselves with a teapot with a nipple on it what a clever idea it's yeah, it's a it's such a sweet moment in the movie, and, he and seems they have to so be many so of them. Genuinely, like happy and adoring of this little kid. Too. Yeah, yeah, and that's just you don't see a whole lot of just plain positive depictions of fathers in movies. Usually, it's like the dad is a shitty dad, and then he grows, and he's not a shitty dad anymore. That's the kind of the the arc you see in a lot of movies. Yeah. In this movie, you really like he just adores this kid, and he and he. And they have all these nice moments together. They have these nice meals together. And uh, it's just, you don't see it. Yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. I do think, I'll go ahead and talk about the fact that it's just because it's cool. This is a cinephile podcast. Mm -hmm. Is, is, Is the way Charlie Chaplin made movies, which is like... Very different from how most people make, make movies and probably you could ever get away with. Now, actually what he did was hard to get away with even at the time, he managed to become an independent filmmaker by the time he was 30 when he made this movie. You know, Charlie Chaplin was born in 1889. Wow. wow. Yeah. No. 131 years ago. Wow. Because I'm 30. Wow. Whipping out that number. 
Anyway, um, so he managed to achieve some financial independence and creative freedom and total creative control, which allowed him to work the way he preferred to work. Now, this is, of course, his first feature film. And generally how he made short films is he would kind of like have a scenario. Not He never started shooting with a complete script. It was always, he had a scenario like, the tramp goes into a store and shenanigans happens or the tramp tries to get a job, mm-hmm. you know, we shouldn't, it, it doesn't go he well. He was making a movie a week there for a while, right? Yeah. Like a single real film. It's probably a good way to do it. Yeah, that seems like a way to really learn to be a filmmaker is just make a movie a week of five minute whatever. Especially if, you know, you're actually kind of making a living off of it. That yeah. probably helps. So that so he was like, by the time, so even though this is his first feature and there's some rough first feature stuff that we'll maybe get into, this guy really knew what he was doing. So he never started with a complete script. And then so he would, he would generally have a set built. And of course the set with, was a big part of, setting up gags and so then he would kind of workshop with his crew and his you know his his barnyard of performers and start improvising gags and set pieces and sort of story scenarios and so they'd film and they and of course he was a famous perfectionist and make sure every gag worked perfectly and he would get like 50 takes and just chew out film he was also his own editor which makes a lot of sense I think it's easier to do an overwhelming amount of takes if you're like, well, it's, it's me that's going to have to go through this shit. It's incredible to me that it just sounds like he's a guy making a movie by himself. Yeah, and he was yeah. that way his whole life. Wow. Pretty much. Everything he made. He did everything, including the music. The music, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's an Which accomplished John, composer. John, as a musician, how is the music? As a musician, uh, I mean, the music is, is uh, it's effective. It, it does what it needs to. I wouldn't call it like super special or anything but it it uh it hits the notes it, it needs to it apparently hits. he couldn't read music he was not he couldn't play anything he just knew how he wanted it to sound and he would just feed it to a guy on a piano who actually wrote it for well, him. well like no he could write he could play piano okay okay he's like but he could he play was, music he, he just couldn't read it minimally musically adept but he would have such a clear understanding of what he wanted that he would get it to the actual musician and they would create it for him yeah, I mean, this monster, such a talented monster. Mm-hmm. So you know about Smile, right? That he wrote the song Smile. Never heard of what, uh... What's that song? Yeah, it, it's uh, the, you know, the smile, though your heart is breaking. And of course, oh. it was figured prominently in, um, and it was written for the movie Modern Times, which in, uh, it was just, a, it was, I think it had words at the time, but it wasn't in the movie. It was just the main theme from the movie. And that's the last little tramp movie. Then, of course, it kind of had a little bit of a rebirth because it was figured prominently in the Joker, the 2019, oh, in the I trailer. In the trailer. And so I thought that was cool. Like, look, here's Charlie Chaplin still having his influence. Yeah. All this time later. But anyway, and then another thing about, like, that to me is in some ways the craziest thing about his technique is that, and this is probably why his movies took months to make, is that they were kind of, imp- again, still no completed script. And so then he'd have a new idea and then, like, therefore, the story would change. And then, so the earlier thing that he spent, you know, two months making didn't make any sense for the story. So they would reshoot a, they would reshoot a whole new scene. Oh, my goodness. They would just throw out what they did to make sure that the plot still made more sense with the new, better ideas he had. And they would just go through the process again. He just took as long as he damn well needed. That sort of explains to me a lot of the differences between the the theatrical cut and the 1972 cut is because he could mix and match it sounds like with all these all these different scenes yeah, he like showed. Yeah, like one so. scene with the little um, the little boy who brought her the flowers. The one and only appearance of an African American in this movie. Um, he, which he added in the 70s which was not in the original cut. I was like wow this whole lost sequence where did this come from? But that makes sense. He just had it somewhere. This was a thing I didn't use before, and now I'll just go ahead and throw it in to the new cut. Like Now, what I wonder, I don't know if any of the articles I've read have said this specifically, but I kind of wonder if we're maybe thinking about this in too binary a way, in that, like, your silent movies, like, didn't necessarily weren't as, shall we say, canon. Like, there would be some weird differences in different stages of a release in different parts of the country. It would mm. Sometimes it would get tinkered with or it would get tinkered on 
when he would go elsewhere. I was wow. going to ask if there was like just different cuts and different theaters. Maybe. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I'm not sure. Like, again, I'm kind of like speculating a little bit here because like, he was also like, he was a control freak. So I imagine that he didn't want a lot of that, but I, especially in this sort of early era of, of film, that kind of thing would happen. Hmm. Uh, I think that also explains some of the differences in the intertitles because like intertitles were were easy to take out, I think, hmm. and so that would make it easier to sell them. Like silent movies were way easier easier to distribute before sound because you could send that thing to Germany and like all right, just take out the intertitles, put it in German, German ones, yeah. put it in yeah. French ones, and boom. Movie. Anyway, what's also on your list? I wrote down I like how dirty and crappy everything looks. Yeah, it's I terrific. How very shantytown the whole place was. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote, oh, hating on single dads, mm-hmm. which is kind of what this movie is doing. Well, is it hating on it, or is it hating on it's, people who hate on it? It's hating on people who hate on it. Okay, it's, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's. Single dads are great, and they work hard, and they're just as good a parents as any other parent. And as long as they're good parents. Yeah, as long as they're good parents. And this is a movie about that, which is still relevant today, I think. And then, but they always get more flack. They're, it's always assumed that the dad is less good at being a parent because men aren't nurturing, and he's very nurturing in this movie. Yeah, I want to talk about the food. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the food. They eat. And the dishware they have, they which... never wash that pot. Yeah, it looks like that <laughs> And it pot. looks like it was used for paint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got a painter's bucket. Yeah, and, and cooks, they cook stew. <laughs> they cook stew. Okay, so this is a rundown. They have this stew, which he spoons an incredible amount of stew for this kid. <laughs> he gives the kid the biggest helping, which is like, you know, practically taller than him. Just... And, and I don't know what it is exactly. Yeah, is it porridge? Is it... Meat. It is lumps of edible. Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then there's this other great sequence where the kid is making the tramp pancakes while the tramp smokes a doob or whatever, <laughs> and um, and it's just so wonderful. He's like, come to the table, and he gets <laughs> he puts on his little. Um, blanket with a hole in it. And, yeah, he's wearing his blanket poncho. Yeah, and which he, looks terrifically comfortable. Yeah. Looks really comfortable. You know, I have a hole in my blanket. I should be taking advantage of that. Anyways, and it's just nice. He, like, counts all the pancakes and cuts one in half and makes sure they all have the same amount. It's just, there's so, that's so sweet. And then the last piece of food that I can remember that we see is a flatbread with what looks to be ground beef on it. Or something. This is when we get the people coming There's no in. plate. It's just, it's just bread with some slop on it. He's like, tasted. Or was it a towel? Was it even bread? I don't see, know. This is, I think it might have been medicinal because the kid is sick and they're very, they emphasize how hot this ground beef mush is. And like, as he touches it and shakes his hand a bunch and then he lays it on the table and there's lots of visible steam coming off it and i wonder if it's supposed to be like mixed vapor beef like (laughs) it's there i mean what i love about it is help it's somehow helping his congestion or something (laughs) son i've made you a fresh batch of mixed vapor beef (laughs) that's what it looks like Nobody seems to even make a move to eat it. He just lays it on the table and it just steams prettily. There's another part where he's like going to get out of bed or whatever and there's just a teapot going and I'm saying, dude, your your water's hot there, buddy. Your water's boiling. (laughs) Yeah, just it's one of those sort of eye-grabbing things. That's one of the dynamic things about this movie is there's all these things happening in a shot. Steam and... And I do think that the the grossness and the weirdness of the food is supposed to be a joke. I th- yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like, it's possible that it's like, if we were around 100 years ago, we'd be like, oh yeah, that slop is stuff I eat sometimes, too. That's, that's maybe. Like va- vapor beef. <laughs> so Maybe. But on the other hand, though, it could be that in 100 years ago, audiences supposed to be, were supposed to maybe be asking, what the fuck is that shit? <laughs> like, are they eating that? So... I mean, sometimes you're looking at something and you're like, am I looking at a portal into the past? Is this, did people have mulch in their house that they're going yeah. out? And, do, and sometimes I'm like, this is clearly a joke. And one thing is the 
the quarter, the, the gas machine that takes a quarter. He gives the kid a quarter and is like, go put this in the gas machine. And they do. And, and they he does. do. And then he, I guess. And he prizes it open and gets the quarter back out. Yeah, he defrauds the gas company, I yeah. guess. And I just, yeah, I guess that's it. I was just like, what am I seeing? Like, did apartments have this? Yeah. A little gas box in the corner? It's just the... Yeah, the, I couldn't comprehend it. Is this how you paid your gas bill? And, like, the gas man came and che- and took the quarters out of your machine in your living room every week? Is was, that... <laughs> like, it's so bizarre. So I have so many questions. No references for it. Like, it made no sense to me what was going on at all. Like, he's trying to get the stove to light, and he won't light, and he just very casually says, here, take this quarter, go put the quarter in the gas machine. The kid does it like they do this every day. And they linger on this. Like, we're supposed to pay attention to it, and I yeah. think it's going right over our 21st century yeah, heads. Yeah, I think that was you know? the most confusing, out of, like, out of our time, out of our depth joke of the whole thing. So is it time to deal with the dream sequence? Okay, Are so... Are you ready? The dream sequence... Is that towards the end of the movie? Alright, spoiler alert. We, none of us like this sequence. No. But I will go ahead and say the things I did like about it. I probably liked it better than Can y'all. Can we put it in the context of the movie real quick? Like, yes. the kid there and this adorable family who established they eat giant globs of soup um, on a regular basis. He's a sweet dad. They commit some crimes. They commit crimes they together, which we crimes. didn't go on to. They have a small Light business. Crimes. They have a small business where the boy breaks windows and the dad fixes the windows. The tramp fixes the windows. It's a great system. It's a good, it, There's it, a whole sequence in the movie that's very adorable. Mm-hmm. But then the kid gets sick and the fixed vapor beef is not helping. And so the doctor says, this child needs care and attention. And social workers come and take the kid. And, and they're it's horrible. It's horribly dramatic and it's horribly sad. And very Jackie, Coogie, Jackie Coogan Sr. made the kid and cry. Epic, the kid from the kid. There's an epic chase across rooftops, which, wow, that's dangerous to run across rooftops with shoes that are too big. <laughs> now, shout out to and those. He jumps shows. into a moving truck, although yeah. there, there's no Buster Keaton level craziness. No. That man was out to kill himself. Yeah. Jackie, don't know Charlie Chaplin was out to kill himself. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> that death-defying, but it was still very exciting to watch. And this whole thing goes down, and then he loses the kid. He doesn't... He goes back home, defeated and sad, and he has a weird, weird, upsetting dream. And yes. What do y'all describe it? Mm, do, so, do we even attempt to? Um, he, he comes into a, a sort of it's his street that he lives on. Except less ratchet, very pretty. Like last, every, and everyone's an angel. There's, there's flowers everywhere. Everyone's an angel for some reason. And I guess this is his vision of heaven. The kid is still there. Except the kid doesn't really play that big of a part in this whole sequence. Yeah. For some reason, you'd think since he's mourning the loss of his child, he'd maybe the movie would focus on that in his dream more. But instead, the focus very quickly shifts to these sort of devil-on-shoulder characters who are tempting a young girl to flirt with Charlie Chaplin and Charlie Chaplin to flirt back. And there's back. a title card that just says, Innocence. Innocence. And, and did I write down the well, other What was ones? the first inner title? It was kind of like, like, no, vamp him. Ooh. Vamp him. Yeah, it, it straight up says, points at Charlie Chaplin, who is sitting la-di-da on the edge of a fountain or something, and he goes to this girl. Who was no, he's playing a harp. He's playing a harp because he's an angel. Because this is also, like, primordial Looney Tunes. Yeah. And the devil whispers in this 12-year-old angel's ear, vamp him. Which I'm not sure and by exactly the way, what no, that vamp, means. No, vamp, that was, like, go be a hoe. Like, vamps were a thing back in the 20s. That was, like, a, a loose woman. Wow. A vampire. It was short for vampire. They were blood-sucking. It's, they were... it's still sort of a phrase to it's still, vamp someone. Yeah, it's still vamp a phrase. it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still a little it's bit. It's a lot more playful and a lot more fun now and less slutty. It's just more like... I mean, it might have been... Be a boss bitch. ...fun too, at the time, too. It was just gross in this context. Yeah. Mainly because this angel girl is his future wife. His future wife. Which he is marries disturbing. A couple years later. And, and she was 12. She was 12 when they filmed this movie, and she's being very flirtatious, and he's being very taken in by it. He definitely fully kisses her on the mouth. Um, Oy. It's he bad. kisses the kid on the mouth a few yeah. times, too, but that, for some reason, feels like maybe that's a dated thing. I don't know. It's definitely a dated thing. Yeah. 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 There was so much kissing. I did write down in my notes, so much kissing, exclamation point. Yeah. But, um, um, 
I like I like the, the the feathers that are that are on the angel wings, and there's some good gags with the, yeah, where with he has an flutter. inch and he scratches in the, his wing, and the feathers fall off. Yeah, yeah a number of things I do like about that sequence are the when the crowd swarms him, and then a big poof of fe- feathers goes up. That's very interesting. I like at the end of the sequence when the kid runs to embrace him after they shoot him down. Uh, Why is he getting shot down in heaven? There's so many problems. Because the devil came and corrupted, corrupted people. Corrupted people or something. Sure, and so okay. I like when the kid runs to embrace him and the kid just dissolves. It's, that's a strange thing. And I feel it's like... an experimental film dropped in the middle of this movie. Which is partly the thing about Charlie Chaplin, is that he could just do that shit if he wanted to. The best part was the sullen dog. The sullen dog flying. Yes. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and the fact and, that he wakes up and he's flapping his arms like it's a and, that's yeah. funny. And what I think that gag could have stayed, he could have, and what I, the way I interpreted this when it started, before it went down the weird loss of innocence, 12-year-old angel tempting Charlie Chaplin thing, was, oh, he thinks the kid is dead, he's lost him, he's so sad, and he's having a dream where he's reunited with him in heaven. And that's what this is. But they don't go there. But they don't go there. Yeah. And then he wakes. So they could have had that brief moment where he's having a dream about being in heaven with the kid reunited. And then he wakes. He's woken up by the policeman and he's flapping his arms because he's still sort of in the dream. And he thinks he still has wings. That could have been a cute, funny gag without all the weirdness and without all the pedophilia and without all the things that made me mad and totally took me out of the movie and made me not want to watch any more Charlie Chaplin movies. Which we might. Yeah. in, In a more... Go ahead, Fisher. Yeah, that was the moment where I was, and maybe I said this already, where I was like, okay, well, his grossness doesn't show up in his work, and then here he is being gross in his work. It feels like also flexing to me, that part. They're doing all this flying and these big effects, and it just felt self-indulgent, and it didn't feel like any of it was helping the movie. It was there to be dazzling in some ways, and it just didn't work for me. It didn't work at all. Well, yeah. But, now, I thought it was kind of fun when I saw it. I didn't really get a lot of the context. Like, I didn't know that that, that girl was anyone in particular yeah. at the time when I watched it at first. And um, I also... Gray is her name. I mostly just thought it was like, well, that was kind of interesting. I kind of thought there was, if there was any thematic material there, it was that, like, well, this is, this is what... This is the primordial sort of interpretive way of showing how... This is how foundlings, foundlings are... You know, babies are dumped off where they come from and then they're dumped off in, in, on the streets. So you're saying by, like, by weird temptation, by devils, this is how foundlings are made? This is, is how it, accident babies are made? This is how accident babies are made. I it's a weird interpretive way of showing that. That's a very deep dive. I don't buy it. I don't get that from it. Um, although... I mean, maybe Colin's smarter than us, but... I, I don't, I don't see that. I'm not, like, this wasn't that deep of a thought. This was like, this was a surface level that interpretation. That like to me. I can't, I would never would have well, thought that. I don't know. I watched it, I'm like, well, that was weird, but I'm like, that's what I got. I, like, even as soon as it was like, uh, like, the, the innocence and the, because I feel like it paired with the beginning of the movie a little yeah, bit. The, and like this. Temptation, this sin. It's, and, and the other thing about it is, it's, of course, it's a very pre-Haze Code movie in general. Right. As, yeah, the whole, um. You just after the Hayes Code in nineteen thirty, there would be no plots of any hit movie that had a a child out of wedlock. That is not a thing that was allowed in Hollywood movies from basically nineteen thirty until until like the mid fifties. It's amazing to me that the Hayes Code was that strict. Because I was yeah. like, oh, I figured they couldn't like reference sex or whatever, but they couldn't even talk about accident babies. Well, like, they also that hardcore. Yeah, and then, well, I mean, it was it was expansive. Like the whole like, there you couldn't even really have anti heroes. Like it was even it wasn't even just about like sex. It was like wow. they're like if 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 someone is the main character or if there's a bad guy who does a horrible thing, there has to be some kind of comeuppance. And so a lot of film noirs. That's so limiting. Yes. And so, like, that's partly why, like, Hollywood went a little nuts in the 60s and 70s mm. is because they'd been repressed for so long with the Hayes Code. And, you know, wow. that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, so that so was part scene, of where I went with this scene. Okay. I'm like, well, this is a very pre-Hayes Code movie. The scene that we can all agree on that did go well. That slaps. That totally was the slapstick scene. <laughs> Yeah, it slaps. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? The part where the kid, the little boy starts to fight with the kid that yes. took his toy. The fight 
scene. The fight scene is and, great. Uh, the double fight scene. The double fight scene. Yeah, the, the kid fights. And, and this then... is earlier in the movie. We're not going through the movie sequentially. And also, we're doing spoilers because, like, look, watch the movie if you don't want it. If you don't want spoilers. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about every bit of the movie. We're not going to try to withhold. This isn't a tease you to get you to watch the movie podcast. This is a, we watched a thing and we we're going to say all the things about and it. And you can, you can think we, we're wrong about things or that I'm right about things. <laughs> you know. <laughs> all that. Anyway, this scene slaps. Um, with a brick. With a fact. brick, yeah. Charlie <laughs> Chaplin does hit a much larger man than him with a brick. A lot. A lot. So and then he wobbles times. off going like, oh, my future. He's See? so addled that he forgets what he's doing and he's knocking on Charlie Chaplin's door because he wants to beat him up some more. And he's like, I guess he's not in, says the title card as he staggers away. It gets kind of weird, that, that section. But there's just so many funny things. The, the cheering crowd for kids fighting. It is... <laughs> It, see, that kind of feels, like, problematic in some ways, but it's funny. It works in a way that the dream sequence doesn't. It's kind of, it's kind of silly. And it's the same set, too. It's kind of like, it's, like, it's an example of how his movies so strongly resolve, revolve around the set. Like, clearly he came up with both of these sequences, like, using the same set. And, like, the gags and the, this, the stuff that happens is revolves around the set. And, of course, punching you know... Punching the wall, punching punch, the light post. Punching the cop! Yeah. <laughs> the cop who lays there for the whole that scene. That was almost the funniest part about it to me, is he punch. punches out the cop and lays him out flat, and the cop lies there for the rest of the whole fight, does not move, maybe rolls over once. I like when the brother character comes in, they announce, here comes this kid's brother, and the first thing he does is just punch out a random dude. <laughs> He's just like, everybody, oh, it's Daryl again, I don't know, who's, who's gonna get it this time? Yeah. Just the dude, display his dom- dominance and just... Deck somebody real quick, just so everybody knows and who's here. Yeah, and his shirt's all stuffed. He looks like a Looney Tune goalie. He looks like they inflated him too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's got a weird ear, gross ear that yeah, looks like he's for real. Yeah, and I don't know if real. that's fake or if he, that guy really had a cauliflower ear, which means he actually was a boxer. Probably. I'm guessing yeah. that. You know, again, this is a... Things... The world was a hardier place 100 years ago. That's yeah. part of what's going on here. And that's also what this scene is, where, like, the kid, like... You know, the kid steals his toy, and it's it's like, what a terrible it bully. It made me so sad, and it got me so hard <coughs> when I was watching this. I was like, oh no, that bigger kid's gonna hurt the poor smaller one. That's so mean. And then the littler one, the kid who plays the kid, and the kid really decks this bigger kid over and over again. And Charlie Chaplin waddles over going, oh, yeah. oh, 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 this kid's got it. Look at my boy. He's the only adult that's not just entertained. He wants, he's actually being responsible and intervening, but then, but then he's entertained. But his kid is handling himself, so then he backs off and even gives him pointers. Well, like, yeah, because he, then he, get, you know, the corn, you know, the round is over and he, they have that little, like, little rope that's like a yeah, imitation boxing, boxing ring and he's just like, he's just like, ah, there's a boy, there's a boy. <laughs> oh, it's a good scene. It's so funny. It's so ridiculous, so Looney Tunes, and it works, you know. I think I like the sequence with them uh, breaking windows and stuff just as much. But and the one... flirtation with the uh, cop's wife, which is quite funny. Yes. Yeah, that, I, I, I like both of them, but the kid fight scene is definitely way more over the top. And, yeah... The, there's some really funny stuff in this movie. It's good shit. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, huh, what's another, what else is on your list here? Well, the end of the movie. The yeah. very ambiguous, sudden, abrupt end where I, le- that leaves us with so many questions, where I literally just wrote, so many questions, exclamation point. Does he live there now? Is this just a visit? What's happening? Because he literally wakes up from the dream sequence by being shaken by a cop. The cop puts him in the cop car, and you're like, what's happening? He's getting arrested? What's happening? And then he's taken to this beautiful house with ivy growing up the side, and there is the beautiful actress, the real mother, who has the child now, because there was a scene we didn't talk about where she saves him from the police station, 
Mm-hmm. Which actually was very Doesn't well. save him. He, she, the, she the, the asshole collects a reward. Yeah. Okay. The asshole who stole the kid the reward. gets yeah. the reward probably. And I thought probably. that was very well written how she just does charity in this neighborhood and she just shows up at the house and the doctor just happens to be there and he's like, look, it turns out that kid, that wasn't really his dad. He found him with this note on him and she sees that that was the note she wrote and then she runs to save the kid. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. It's, it's a good. very good plotting out of how that, how they get reunited. Anyway, to quickly summarize, just watch the movie. It's good. It's good. But so she gets the kid back, and it's very sweet. The boy's reunited with his mother, but he doesn't know who she is other than the nice lady that gave him toys once. So... How's that going to go? Yeah, how's that going to go? Because it's like, this tramp isn't going to, like, suddenly be, like, a responsible Yeah, but so he's adult. taken to the cop car, and he's taken to her house, and, like, the little boy hugs him, and he is invited into her home. And so, yeah, does he live there now? Yeah. The end. It says, then the words, the end, appear on the screen. And I'm all about an ambiguous ending. I love movies that make you think and leave you with questions. I'm a fan of that. That's not what but this ending this does, this ending though. was just <laughs> abrupt and confusing. I uh, Here's my read of the ending, is that it just is telling you that, like, the tramp gets to have a relationship with him. And that was heartwarming to me. That's what I got out of it, but I do get the criticism that it ends like a Buffy episode where they wrap it up real quick, you know. Yeah. A big, well, that monster's dead. Yeah, yeah that monster's dead. Buffy, Guess the world ain't ending yet. Yeah. Buffy staked the monster. We're done. You yeah. know, real quick, boom. No conversation. No conversation. We did it. Night. Good game, everybody. Yeah. Good game. And uh, I, I do get that, but I, I think what I really took from it is like he is going to get to see this kid. He's going to get to have a relationship with this kid. And, uh, but I don't think that they're in a relationship now, the tramp and the famous no, actress. No, no, I didn't get that from He that. doesn't live there now. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think this I think this ending is like, yeah, it's very much a like... Just, it, it comes from, I think, his, his short film days where like... Which were a little bit more like sketches, and this is like a long sketch. It's like, well, movie's over, bye. Yeah, you know? sketch over and, and uh, scene. And because, you know, like the two other Charlie Chaplin films I've seen, you know, City Lights and Modern Times are much better films in this regard in terms of how they're developed so he was kind of figuring this shit out at the time in terms of like well i don't have an ending but this is the end it's satisfying to know that he sees the kid again yeah here you go audience don't feel bad don't worry too much here he is seeing the kid again the end yeah pretty sure much. sure yeah, yeah. Should we do overall impressions? Is there anything we needed to I'm talk? trying to think if there's anything else from the thing that didn't happen earlier from that we talked our... about that was cool. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we probably... We thought that the little actor who brought her the flowers was very, very charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, another and... kid actor in this movie. And it's yeah. nice to see a person of color in a silent film. Yeah. Especially one that's played rare. by a person of color. Yeah, was not a blackface child that would have been the worst. That would have been like... Yeah, talk about things that make us cringe in this movie. At least it wasn't somebody in blackface. Yeah. <laughs> we got we scored one there. We did get a little bit of pedophilia. Oops. <laughs> but we... Uh, yeah, we kind of talked about all the things that make you cringe. Otherwise, this movie doesn't make you cringe that. And you cringe for real narrative reasons, like you're yeah. sad. Oh no! You're sad that the doctor's such an asshole. That doctor, I love. Like Charlie Chaplin, apparently does not have a great opinion of doctors. Did that doctor comes in and just like, come here, I'm gonna stick something in your mouth without your permission. Shoves the kid around, grab yeah. you, and yeah. like, <laughs> it's and he's just so rough and so judgmental. He was probably appalled. By the Vicks the Vic- Vapor Beef. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he called CPS, it was the Vicks Vapor Beef. We got this, Dad. I don't know what he's doing on this flatbread. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get over here right away, dude. <laughs> oh, this movie's good. It's really a charming, sweet film. And it's also not real long. Whichever version you happen to, like, you know, if you get the you long... You pitching me this one again? <laughs> Which I love hot rod. <laughs> Sorry. We have I haven't given you enough of a segue for you to talk about hot rod yet. Jeez. <laughs> you gotta you gotta, you gotta put your shirt on there. <laughs> <laughs> cool beans anyway. I like short movies. I like movies that are that are quick, that are edited well and are clean and tell the story in a way that is concise. And still heartwarming, and the ultimate example of that 
his Andy Samberg's film Hot Rod speech over. <laughs> the ultimate in cinema <laughs> Sorry. was Hot Rod featuring... I a, compare every movie I see to Hot Rod, and if it's as good, then I like it. And the kid was as good, we so I liked it. We started this conversation being like, we didn't do that intensive a movie, and now we're talking about... Hot Rod. <laughs> Helen's so, favorite movie. Helen's favorite movie. Okay, so... Oh, goose for all. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> this movie's good. It's shorter than a lot of Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. And um, it's good. I recommend. It's it's a fascinating... And also, like, we're maybe still figuring out whether our 1931 film will be City Lights. If we are going to get a get a double dose of... Of City Lights. I don't know of if we're Charlie doing Chaplin. Uh, yes, a double dose of Charlie Chaplin with City Lights. Yeah. But um, I don't know if we're doing that, but I would also say, like, if you were like, well, I don't know about this Charlie Chaplin guy, but I maybe do want to watch one of his movies, probably the one is, you should watch is City Lights. And, uh, yeah, this movie's a fascinating film. Um, any other thoughts? I thought it was sweet. I was mostly just heartwarmed. I had a smile and I had a tear. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I I mostly really liked it, and I didn't feel like it was dated or slow anywhere. It was no, relevant, it yeah. was really a tight movie. It was mostly just great. Of course, that doesn't make a good podcast if we all just like everything about it. Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, we shit on some parts. It, it made me. It ultimately warmed my heart and made me feel strong empathy for the characters. But it also grossed me out and made me mad. Yeah. And it made me wonder if I want to invest more time, my, you know, my precious time with my life, when I could just be re-watching Twin Peaks, do I want to watch another Charlie Chaplin movie? Speaking of which, we'll do our What Else Are You Consuming segment. Yes. Helen, what else are you consuming? Could it be? I'm re-watching Twin Peaks. Ah. Whenever my three-year-old, she'll be three tomorrow, whenever my three-year-old Happy goes... birthday Happy, to friends. Yeah. Whenever my three-year-old goes to bed early and I have some free time to watch an adult thing that is not Clifford the Big Red Dog, which is mostly what I watch, I watch Twin Peaks. I'm up to season two, episode one, and it is delightful and I'm so happy and it's my second time through and it's better the second time and I could watch a new show that... Everyone recommends it's the golden age of television. There's so much good out there, but instead I just want to watch something that I know is going to make me happy. So I watch the dark, disturbing, weird Twin Peaks because that's what makes me happy. Also, I listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts eight hours a day because I work on a computer in a cubicle. And I binged the entire Dead Eyes podcast this week, and it was a, it made me laugh so hard. It made me so happy. It's a story about dealing with failure, and I needed that in my life right now. So what else are y'all consuming? Well, I would say that, like, I don't know if we're in the golden age of television anymore. We really have, we're in the oversaturated age of television, no, which is like, we're in the, like, no one's watching the same shows right now. But the show I'm watching is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's real good. I'm enjoying it He's very much. the guy who does Dead Eyes as a scene in that. Wait, really? Yeah. Who he, who, he, who he is. Suddenly I'm blanking on the poor man's name. Oh, sad. Um, <laughs> it's, you know who it's got? Who? Uh, Slings and Arrows, the uh, the Hamlet. Really? Yeah. It's got the Slings and Arrows Hamlet is, is Lenny Bruce, and he's got a, he's a strong recurring character, and it's nice to see him again. Wow. And um, it's, it's also got Tony Shalhoub. Of course. And it's, so there you go. It's real good. It's real funny. I've actually kind of been able to... If, if, even if you're like, I don't know if I want to watch that show, it's like, if you're a film nerd, it's got some... I'm really having a fun time with the terrific wonners that are in the show. Like, What's a wonner? It's like a unbroken take. Oh, right. Okay, well, all one take. Yeah, yeah and, and like, it doesn't really have... It has kind of ones that are subtle and only like two or three minutes or shorter, and but they're often really cool. Anyway, mostly it's just a show that's funny and really good. Do recommend, strong recommend. And uh, I'm also reading my... Still plugging away on my 800 page book on the French Revolution. In case there was any question that we are nerds. <laughs> what, uh, what I'm is fascinated this by this. I am not oh, going shit. to shame you at all because oh, I shit. think that is relevant for today and I applaud you for embarking on this journey. 
You know what? Please I need to. Tell me more. I need to. You know, I know the name of it. It's called. Uh, well, I, I just need. Like, I was like, I just said I was reading it, but um, <laughs> uh, it's called Citizens: A Chronicle of the French Revolution, and it, I, Simon something. Simon says. Oh, shit, Simon, you're playing on your phone. Um, citizens. Don't touch your phones, everybody. This they're recording. <laughs> don't, don't. Simon. Um, Simon Shama, is who wrote it. It's real good. I read it partly because my knowledge of history is pretty strong in the England and America front, and I'm trying to probably... Connor Ratliff. Connor Ratliff. Sorry. Sorry. Connor. Okay. I don't know who that is. Sorry. We're talking all over each other. You gotta... We gotta clean this up. We gotta clean this up. Start over, Colin. Yes. What book are you reading, Colin? Yeah, yeah. The Citizens. The the, uh, Chronicle of the French Revolution. It's 800 pages. Simon Schama. Uh, It's real good. I kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to improve my knowledge of non-American and English history. And I feel like the French Revolution is a pretty important event to study if you want to know what modern history is around in the Western world. And uh, this book is a little bit topical now because the, very much the theme of this book is there was a succession of leaders who benefited from mob violence and mm-hmm. thought they were in control of it. But then it turned out they were not. And lo and behold, we've had a gallows in our capital recently. So, yes, disturbingly topical, but it's a terrific book uh, if you are ever interested in reading an 800-page book on the French Revolution. Recommend. John. Props. I have been listening to Dolly Parton's Here You Come Again. Just the song. That is not an album. No, it's just a song. It's just a song, and I... And when I'm done listening to it, I listen to it again, and then when I'm done listening to it again, I listen to it a third time. I listen to it ad nauseum, and that's how I do songs. I always just, I, I'm a musician. People are always like, "What are you listening to? Tell me about music." And I really only listen to one song at a time. And so lately, I've just been obsessed with this song, and I listen to it over and over again. And, because uh, Dolly is the world's greatest human. Sure, sure. Definitely top five. That's not controversial. No. No. <laughs> top three. Just turn the podcast off right now if you don't think Dolly Parton is the world's greatest human. Because sure. you're wrong. That is the only hill I will die on. Anyway. It's not much of a hill to die on. People are there to die with you. Who on earth is going to fight me for this? It's a really safe hill to stand on. Yeah. Is that it? Are we good? Are we done? Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Albee. I'm Colin Alby. I'm Helen. I have other names. <laughs> and uh, tune in next week for our for our one and only attempt at episode two. <laughs> I hope so. Cool beans. <laughs>